Uh, we are in Acts chapter 4 and 5. It is a little bit... You thought some days at your church might have been awkward. I imagine this one was a pretty awkward one for the early church in Acts. Uh, let's uh, ask God to help us understand it uh, and to, to help us respond in, in ways that he would want us to hear his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, you are good. And so, Lord, help us to see that here. God, you are the author of life who loves to give life. And so, Father, let's help us to, to see who you are truly here. Father, you are the one who gives and who takes away, the one who made from dust and the one who oversees that dust to which we all will return. And so, Lord, we just ask now as we deal with something that's very real and uh, was very big and pointed in the life of this early church of yours, that we'd understand why you did what you did. And Lord, that we would hear the message that you have for us in that now, that our hearts might be undivided, devoted to you, then that we might cling on to your Christ, who is the only one that we have, the only name by which people can be saved. So Father, please speak to us this afternoon. May this be a spiritual, holy day for us. Amen. Well, what was the greatest thing that, although maybe not the greatest thing, what's the last great thing you witnessed? Like, can you think of something like, that was awesome. That was great. Uh, the Broncos keeping the storm scoreless in their NRL quarterfinal on Friday night. That was great. Unexpected and great. Some, there's probably some pointless AFL match that you care about that, that you think was great sometime recently. Um, maybe, maybe you've seen a friend put someone else's interests above their own and you thought, oh, yeah, yeah, that was it. That was just beautiful. Or a, a, maybe it was a virtuosic performance at the concert hall. I, I don't know. What was the last thing you can remember? That was, just, oh, that just, that was great. Now, in this passage, there are three things that are described as great. Um, let me just see if I can get the clicker to work. Clicker's not working for me. See how you go. Oh, no, that'll be my, my thing. We'll see how we get that working. Um, three things are described as great. Uh, described as mega in the Greek. Um, so this is the word... Uh, Mega, it just means great, big, massive. You know, we get our word mega from it. And at this point, there's still only this one church in the world and there's three great things in it this week. Now, there's one, they are one in heart and mind we get at the start, the, the, the full number of them. It's this beautiful, beautiful church and there are three things that are great and we're going to get there. But the first great thing is the apostles have great power as they tell people what it is that they have seen. You see that there in Acts chapter 4, verse 33. It is still all they're talking about. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly what it means that they were testifying to that with great power, but it does at the very least mean these things that we've seen so far. They are sharing it no matter what. People want to shut them up. People want to close them down. And the Holy Spirit is giving them the strength to continue. Just, just say, well, what, what, do you, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to obey God or do you want me to obey you? Of course I'm going to obey God. And secondly, at the very least, what we've seen is the Holy Spirit using their testimony to bring people to faith in that Jesus. People are believing this message. People are believing Jesus is actually now alive, not just raised from the dead, but he's now alive and is now active and they are coming to faith. They are joining that church. They are growing over 5,000 people by now. There is great power to start with. Now, secondly, there is in operation among them a mega grace. 
this great grace of God, and it's leading to the provision of everyone's needs. Did you notice that there? There was not a needy person among them in verse 34 because people were doing this thing where they were just looking out for each other. Now, that's crazy. Like I said, there's over 5,000 just the blokes in this church. Then you've got women, you've got children. Add those numbers. We're starting to get kind of massive, and many of them are a long way from home, remember? There was a whole bunch of people who came in for this festival and just never got home. They got caught up in this Jesus thing, like the Asprey revival you may have heard about recently. Like People just got caught up in it. They're just not going home. They're just staying. They've come in for the festivals, had their world turned upside down by Jesus, by the resurrection of their Messiah. So they, 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 what do you do if you go home? Ah, something weird happened. They need to be established in the faith. So the apostles can teach them. They can help them to understand what is this kingdom that they've just joined. I mean, we've just hung around with Jesus for three years. Why? So that we can now teach you what we got, what we got when we were with him because he's now the king. And in the face of this partly short term because of those people need, because they don't have any support networks. Not, they don't have a passive income coming through in the bank account that's electronically going from you know, Tyre and Sidon and Rome or whatever coming in and they can just tap it on the card. People have mouths to be fed. Some of them will have kids with them. And people are saying, sure, I'll sell the shack for your physical and spiritual well-being. It's amazing. And completely voluntary if you see it there. It, it, it's, it's, it's not, no, there's no enforcement. There's no, there's no state-run system. It's great grace, mega grace in the hearts of the people for each other. From time to time, people like, like this Barnabas guy would be moved by the grace of God and would bring large sums of money to the apostles to meet the needs of those many. Now, it's interesting, you might have seen it there, to, to lay it at their feet. Now, that's partly, that's a um, sort of a, a, a Hebrewism. Uh, and, and the idea is it's not going in their pockets. It's at their feet for their administration. You, know, you remember back last week, um, Peter's like, well, I don't have any silver or gold. That's, he, he, he wasn't doing a Judas and handling the money, he, 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 but they, they were to administer it and distribute it to those who had need. So it was laid at their feet. Now, it's kind of interesting because you don't get here like a hint of reciprocity. Like, what are they going to get out of the deal? You don't get that, which is unusual in the Greco-Roman world. Everything is, is traded in the Greco-Roman world. Every gift comes with strings. That's just how it is. Does anyone here, do, do throw your hand up, does anyone here come from a culture where it can be a bad thing or an uncomfortable or a not good thing to receive an expensive gift? Does anyone know that can be awkward because you're like, you, you know that, that you, you're going to have to actually do something just as much back? Yeah? It's, 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 all of a sudden, you're now obliged. You're now under obligation to that person. You're in their not maybe in their pocket, but you've got to give something comparable in return. And yet this community doesn't function like that. It's not Greco-Roman. It's a grace community. Now, was it sustainable? Well, probably not. <laughs> I think they're going to run out of shacks and Airbnbs after a little while, right? It was mega charis. Great grace. And look, some even think that this is why the Jerusalem church was in such need. When the famine hits in a few years' time, you guys notice how in the letters there's a whole bunch of... Um, uh, Paul saying, hey, remember you guys were going to put some money in for the collection for Jerusalem? I'm going to come pick it up. Well, this is, this is what some people, why some people think that when it hit hard there in Jerusalem, they didn't have anything to fall back on. Now see, this is the thing. The visitors didn't have anything to fall back on even then. 
And because the New Testament didn't exist yet, they don't have anything to take home with them. They got the Old Testament scriptures, but nothing to help them to see what Christ has done and how he fulfills them. And so there was this beautiful, great grace. Now look, I actually see beautiful grace here in this church in so many human beings. If you have a need, the elders and the pastoral connections team, that team is me, Karen and Jan, um, uh, we know lots of people at this church who have this kind of grace in their hearts. And so if you have a need, let us know because they would love to serve you and we'll hook you up with someone who can help you out with your need. Please do that and let the church be church. Now, um, look, it might, be, it might be just because of my own personal experience, but I really love verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, blah, 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 blah. See, the weirdest thing about coming to Hobart for me is that people are calling me Peter. And it is so weird. I, it's, it, it, the first six months, I wasn't really turning around very much when people would say it, because it's, I just know it's someone else. First of all, there's a billion Peters in the Presley Church in Queensland, but that also, because it's, in Brisbane, I'm Coots. That's who I am. Like, that's just... And here, the nickname that the apostles give this bloke, Joseph, actually says quite a lot, because... It sticks. Firstly, uh, the apostles giving it to him says that generous giving to people's real needs in times of crisis is encouragement. Have you, have you ever had someone give you something at just the right moment and it just, just your heart just melted because it just meant so much in that, that God arranged it for that time? Generous deeds in times of need nourish the heart as well as the stomach. Secondly, I love this verse because I love that the apostles gave him the nickname. They're calling him son of encouragement. You see how it's actually the apostles who are setting the culture of encouragement in the church. They're the ones who give the name. They're the ones doing the, yeah, we're calling him the encouraging guy. Remember? Yeah. Third, I love that this is obviously Barnabas' whole way of life. Like he must be an encourager by nature. You don't get given a name that is about verbal encouragement, which is what the word implies, if just through one property sale, right? Who's here who doesn't need some encouragement? Don't you love it when you get it? Especially if you just put your heart and soul into something and someone says, yeah, that, that meant something. It was good. Thank you. It's a powerful thing. And Barnabas just did it. It's just what he did. It's just who he was. Brothers and sisters, get at that. Encourage each other. Fourthly, I just, I just love that the name sticks. Like, have you ever read uh, later in Acts? You know those bits about the Apostle Joseph? He's a missionary, an apostle, and a mission partner with Paul, Apostle Joseph? No, 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 you, no, you don't know, because that's Barnabas. His name's Joseph, but he goes by the nickname. He's Coots out in the world. From that moment on, he is son of encouragement. That's just what he gets called. That's a beautiful thing. Now, if you ignore the chapter number, so you've got your Bible in front of you, because of course, assuming that you do, uh, you ignore the, that little heading that your NIV's got there and the big number that's sitting there, and the heading, and, and the, therefore the passage then flows just like this. People were selling property to meet needs. One guy they call Barnabas, and another one was this guy named Ananias. That's how, this, that's how it flows. Except this one kept back part of the money. Now, if you're thinking, hmm, kept back, like that sounds, that kind of implies like he shouldn't have done that. If you're feeling like that from the English, that means the translator has done a really good job because you'd be right. The word Luke means, it means to take something that's not yours. It gets translated as like pilfer, um, later else steal. But later we learn that having sold it, 
Ananias could have done whatever he wanted to do with the money. That's what Peter says. So, hold on, why does Luke imply that what he did is theft? When Peter says, no, it's yours, you could have done with what you like with it. Now, it's, it's kind of hard to work out. One suggestion that's been made by lots of commentators is that he had some prior arrangement with the apostles. Like he'd told them, hey, we're going to sell our field and give you the whole lot. Um, and, and he'd bragged about that. That's one possibility. It would make some sense. But the thing is, we, we don't know. But somehow in the arrangement, what was true is that this was very shifty. Now, either way, when, when he hands over the money, Pete knows Luke doesn't need to mention that the Holy Spirit is moving this in Peter as you look at it there. Like you hear the language. Ananias, why has Satan moved in you to do this? Why has he filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, like didn't it remain your own after it was sold? Was it not at your disposal like, you didn't need to do this. Like, the, the, do, you, do you feel the unnecessary here? I feel Peter being sorry for the guys. Like, why? Like, uh, like uh, I think as I was a kid, I thought this was a very stern Peter, like a, which maybe be quite stern as well, but like, he just, he's incredulous. He just keeps asking questions. Why? But you, like, but you didn't have to, and, and, and there's no point, and, and it would have been generous just to give this much if you had have told us that's actually how much you were going to give anyway, and you, you, you didn't need to give it all. Like, it was fine. You were still, we, were, you, you, we were all your friends anyway. And, and Why? Why did you do it? So Ananias falls over and gives up the ghost. All Peter's done is asking him, why did you do it? And he, uh, ex he gives up the ghost. And the young men take him outside, bury the body. Probably blokes Fiotti and Billy's age. It's pretty real. And Sapphira comes in. Pete asks her a question as well. Uh, a question that will tell the church whether she was in on it or not. Did you sell it for this much? Yep, it's a price, she says. And you can just, <laughs> I, want, I don't know if he knew beforehand or not, but you can just hear his heart breaking here. See, it wasn't just a moment of weakness from a man struggling with his greed, this was conspiracy. This is deliberate deception of the church. And so Peter announces that her fate will be the same as her husband's. And the young blokes who've just got back pick her body up and take it out too. Wow. Like we had some pretty crazy, uh, we had some pretty crazy mornings out of Victoria Point Church where the, um, the, the level of grey far exceeded the, even the amount of green in the outside world. And, uh, and this, you know, people would faint in their, in their chairs and you'd get ambulances come in. But, but this, this we never had. Two people getting called on their sin and being judged right there in the moment. Now, I don't know about you, but I suspect some, I suspect some of you, I suspect at least some of you are wondering, so are these guys really Christians? Like, they really believe. I don't know that we know. I want to know the answer to that. I've got a bunch of theories, but that's all they are, they're theories. Luke doesn't tell us. There's hints, but there may be hints. So I kind of got to leave that with God. Pete certainly doesn't curse them. Like this is not Peter coming and then and, and, and sort of, it's not the same as the miracles where Peter would say, hey, get up and walk. This was Peter standing back and saying, look, this is what's going to happen. 
And it just happens. This is, this is God. To Ananias, he says, why? To Sapphira, he says, how could you? And then God says, this is what must happen for my church. In a very somber moment. Now, I think it actually kind of sounds super spiritual in a way. If you feel like this is a very sort of spiritual moment, we've got Satan, we've got, we've got testing the Holy Spirit, we're lying to God. You know, it is a very sort of spiritual reality, a spiritual warfare thing. The gods, these, the spirits that, as, we've been, as we picked up the whole story of the Bible, do you remember, as through, um, through from Genesis all the way through, um, the, the gods, these, these dark spirits who have rebelled against Yahweh, the true God, are always conspiring to turn God's people against him. I mean, this is, this is, this is the Garden of Eden, isn't it? You can't trust God. They're always trying to turn through, tempt them to sin, to go against God. But God here says, no, you will not infect my church. Not now. There must be something about this moment, isn't there? Because I'm sure plenty of people have done things like this in history. But in this moment, the very start, the very beginning, when things are just so beautiful, God says, no, I just will not let my church get corrupted like this. I will not let lies infect and yet at the same time, if you think about it, it's actually no more spiritual than every single moment at church that we're together. Like it's no more spiritual than this. It's no, less, it's no more special than this. Now, why was it lying to God? Because I, I, I want to see how spiritual this, 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 this moment is still. See, why was it testing the Holy Spirit? Well, he, he, didn't, he didn't say anything directly to God. He wasn't praying and telling God that this was all the money. What Peter says is it was lying to the people of God. It was testing the temple of the Holy Spirit, this new church. It, it threatened to corrupt the culture of the church, the same church that Jesus says that when people attack that church, you're attacking me. You see, it's a spiritual moment, not because it's you know, an event recorded in the Bible or because it's in the early church, but because it involves a church, the church that has the Holy Spirit living in it, like this one does. It's a spiritual moment because it involves humans who trust in God and have indwelt by Him. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you put, have your trust in Jesus, if He is your Lord, and I talk to you and I talk to you and I, I say things to you, I better be very careful because this is a spiritual moment and I'm speaking to someone in whom dwells the Spirit of the living God and whom He cares about very, very deeply. Every moment that I'm interacting with you is a spiritual moment, a spiritual interaction. Especially when dealing with a human being. Because you're dealing with a divine being. Especially when you're talking to a Christian, even more so than just any human being, because you're speaking to someone who the Holy Spirit is in, in a way to the Holy Spirit, as Peter interprets it. And so then even extra specially when you're talking to the church. It's a spiritual thing. See, do you think Satan is any less against your faith becoming pure, against your faith having integrity, than he was against the early Christians's? Like, do you think he sort of is... Uh, you know, he was, he, was, he was busy in the early church, but now he's, he's taking a break or he doesn't really care about what's happening with your faith and Hobart. Now your struggles are because there are dark forces working against you to stop you from trusting in God. It's true. There's a fight for you to be having. He's a part of this. This moment is spiritual too. Now, I'm not sure why Ananias and Sapphira did it. 
Uh, maybe, maybe they wanted a position of power. Maybe, you know, they're thinking that sooner or later. Barnabas gave now, and it doesn't look like he's getting anything back yet, but sooner or later, we know like, that's how the world works. Like, there'll, be, there'll be kickbacks. There'll be some sort of way that it'll work out. Um, maybe, maybe he'll, he'll you know, uh, get a, a new position when, when, when we start establishing up hierarchy and things like this. It's got to kick in at some point. Maybe they're just investing in, the, investing in their sort of influence in the church. Or maybe it is just, just honour, the reputation. I mean, this is the thing. Barnabas got a nickname, right? He got a nickname that puts him up there. Where's my nickname? Where's well, Pete, the real estate agent, like guy? Like I'm, I'm the, I'm the seller. I'm the giver. I'm the, the generous. We're not sure why. But either way, what they wanted was what Barnabas had. They wanted to be known in the church for having been generous with everything. It was so stupid. It was so dumb. Like, you could have just said this wasn't all. It was just some of it. And, and, and even, even if they said that with the wrong heart, they would have got what their evil hearts sort of wanted out of it. The lie didn't gain them much. It was senseless. But it did end up exposing their hearts. And so, the effects that this had was actually that the third great hits. We get to the third great in our passage. Because a great fear hits in verse 11. The whole church and all who heard, a great fear came upon them. Now, this is a, an interesting little passage here. It pulls together quite an interesting bunch of things, the reaction to this. Uh, there's this great fear, and you start thinking, hold on, Pete, I'm not sure if you, I, I think you might have just blown the marketing. Like, we were pretty popular until this point. People were joining. <laughs> I think you might be putting them off. This, is, this isn't good for the gospel. This isn't good PR for the gospel. You guys are obviously so harsh. You're obviously so moralistic. Like, like uh, if, if you came up to me at church and said, look, we're going to sell, sell property, we're going to give you some cash, and then you came up and did it, I'll probably be saying, wow, thanks. <laughs> but Peter really, kind of, Peter really kind of blew it with, the, uh, with, with keeping the relationship up with the most influential donors, didn't he? Now, what happens with this fear? Well, the apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet, that's in the, in the, uh, in the NIV, but the, the, it's, the, it's the, 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 the way it says used to, it means the, the habitual. That's what they were doing. They were meeting together in Solomon's colonnade. So, you see, now everyone's scared, and the believers will meet. They'll get together still, but no one else dares join them even though they're highly regarded by the people. They've all been scared off. The next bloke who sold the field, actually, I don't know, it's, it's, it's in an, one of the apocryphal books. The next bloke who sold the field, he didn't just bring the cash, he brought receipts as well. Now, it's harsh, but it kept the fakes from joining, didn't it? You see, it established this as, a, as, as an institution of purity of heart, where that matters. Because, it, let's face it, they didn't do much wrong. It wasn't that bad. They gave money and got punished for it. Why was it bad? Because it was the heart thing that was wrong. And God says here, I will not, promote, I will not tolerate sorry, self-promoting lies. See, what did God most desperately want to stamp out of his church? He wanted to get rid of the hypocrisy. He wanted to get rid of lies. And God says, I will 
not let the leaven of the Pharisees that I want to look good on the outside infect my church. That culture of just wanting people to see me smiley, happy and great and awesome or down in the depths but it's because I've got such a load on my back and I am so great. That desire he would, did not want in his church. And yet nevertheless, this is the amazing thing. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So yeah, only the believers were gathering together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dares join them. But God's Spirit is still converting souls. So we don't, you don't want to be scared of God's Word because God won't stop converting souls just because it doesn't sound very PR or PC to you. God will save his people. And there's no point in saving people into his church through good PR and everyone thinking that it's great if the church is exactly the same as the outside where it's the inside and the outside don't match, where there's lies and hypocrisy to be seen to be great. God will build his church as he keeps doing throughout Acts. Now, what, what, what does this mean for us? What, what, what do we do with this passage? How, how do we grab it? There's three things that I want to pick up on. The first one is that you don't get unity by seeking unity. You get unity by seeking Christ. You see, it's an easy church to like this early one. It's, 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 they're so together. Uh, there's such goodness. There's such devotion. And therefore, like a real, a real togetherness in the devotion. And I, I feel like it's easy for me to idolise the good things that I see them doing and seek after the good things and end up striving for the good things, the unity, the, 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 the togetherness and the goodness, instead of seeking Christ and asking everyone, hey, let's seek Christ together, knowing that those will actually be the fruits of seeking Christ. You see, the, the purity of that, of that church would have been utterly compromised if they hadn't been willing to call the sin, if the Holy Spirit hadn't said, actually, let me do it for you, because this is not okay. The, the desire to keep in Ananias and Sapphira would have actually destroyed their unity as the sin took root and the yeast leaven made its way through the batch of dough. And yet by being willing to seek Christ at all costs, by truthing at all costs, by loving at all costs, it is those who are willing to risk relationship by humbly, lovingly speaking the truth that create long-term health in their networks. Hear that? It is those who are willing to risk relationships by humbly, lovingly speaking the truth, they create long-term health in their networks. There's more, I've heard even more talk again this week about uh, narcissistic pastors destroying their congregations and ruining the faith of people. And I don't ever want to be that guy, so please will you call me on my sin and the elders will make sure that it's dealt with seriously. Because we can't have, we're not going to have a good church by being nice. And have a good church by seeking after Jesus and honouring him. Now, look, this isn't an excuse to air every single opinion that you've got. Oh, I've got to tell the truth. So I'm just going to say everything that happens to come into my head. Not an excuse for confusing your opinions with absolute God's truth. But if we're convinced about truth, we can step up and say, oh, well, I do have this opinion. Might be wrong, but I do have this opinion. I'm willing to own it and humbly allowing myself to be critiqued if I'm willing to own that I have this opinion and then someone can tell me why they think it might be wrong, why the Bible might say something differently. Rather than holding on to um, sort of 
Oh, sorry, I think I've misread something there. It's, uh, there's a sense where I can want to retain looking good by not saying sorry and admitting that I was wrong. But rather, brothers and sisters, we have to not do that. We have to be willing to look bad by walking back from something that we'd previously said, by saying, yeah, no, I did this wrong thing. We don't want to worship unity. We, want to, we don't want to worship looking like we're right. We, we want to create unity, despite being very, very different, by being devoted to Christ, by worshipping him, by speaking the truth in love as we go to him. Because when our love for Christ is greater than our love for unity, we'll be far more united. Second one. I want to encourage us, and I think this passage does encourage us, to invest in becoming truthful. I think we probably, we, we maybe underestimate how much this not just works to the outs, sort of in, in our culture, but works inside us. Our culture is an advertising culture. Our most fluent language is marketing, Right? The most, the most common text that you perceive, your eyes, your ears, every single day, every moment of every day, is advertising. We, we talk about it even in the way that we talk about ourselves. We talk about marketing ourselves. We talk about making a good impression, you know, putting your best foot forward. Is that what we should be focusing on? See, untruths, I think, can actually get inside us more often than we'd like to believe. They can actually become our natural language so we don't even detect them when we say them. Oh, the traffic was killer. That's why it's late. Well, yeah, like you got one red light, but you're in Hobart. It's not that bad. That's why you're late. Say you're late. I, I want to encourage us to, 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 to cultivate a habit of increasing honesty because I suspect that we've imbibed slowly by slowly, without, without knowing it, uh, habits of increasing dishonesty because it's just how everything works in our world. I want to encourage us to willingly subject ourselves to going down in the estimation of the people who are around us. Tell them, I didn't pray for you on Sunday. And I'm sorry. Be willing to subject yourself to going down in the estimation of people in order to see their benefit go up at the benefit of the increased truth in the air that we breathe here at church. And I say this includes being more honest with yourself as well. Like, don't, don't, don't make up an easy narrative and, and just let yourself believe it. Ask, is that really true, that excuse I just made for myself? Sure, it's, you guys are very intelligent people. Like, it, it, might be, it might be utterly plausible, but is it the real reason why this thing happened, why I did this thing? I, I, am, I, I have worked so hard at this. But the thing is, we can't do this alone. You can't just do this on your own on the inside. We need to be more honest with ourselves. It seems like something you've got to work on the inside, but no. This church has, has one, we have to be, this church, sort of this uh, Jerusalem church, was one in heart and mind, as in they trusted their Lord Jesus, and together they walked after him. And we know, we know actually ourselves more truly as we walk with others. And so we're actually going to need to do this one together. Cultivate your truthfulness. Invest in the truthfulness of the way that you speak. And lastly, the third great was a great fear. And I don't think we can walk away from this passage. I think it would be wrong to walk away from this passage without stopping and shivering a half a second. 
and thinking about God and us. See, it says that a great fear fell over the whole church and everyone who heard about these things, and I suspect that Luke thinks that that's a good thing. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in Proverbs. And yet the trust of the goodness of God is the very thing that the devil was trying to get us to disbelieve in God from the very, very start in the garden. And so the fear of the Lord combined with the trust in his goodness is where we actually have to walk. See, if you got into the habit of thinking that your life is your life and, well, it doesn't matter what your habits are that much. It's your life, it's just your life. Maybe that your habits don't matter that much to God or maybe your habits don't affect the church very much. The thing is, is that you're actually wrong about that. My habits affect the church, probably disproportionately. That's not a good thing, by the way, in many cases. But your life, my life, as, as members of the bride of Christ, our habits matter to God. And our habits affect his bride. They affect the church. And so let us fear and respect and honour him by thinking about how, how are we cultivating our, our, our speech, our engagement with the church. Am I willing to say little untruths to appear a little bit better in people's eyes? And so compromising Jesus' bride. God cared a lot. And I think he loved us enough to, to not only do this, but then to make sure it was recorded for us, to make us a little bit scared. Because we should be, even as we hold on to and praise him for his goodness, his generosity, his grace, his love. I, the one thing that I didn't say about, I guess, Peter's question to Priscilla was that it gave her the chance to repent, didn't it? Was this how much you sold the field for? That's <sighs> uh, what we said, but we lied. It's not true. No. I'm sorry before God. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have done that. We actually, we actually got much more for it than that. And how beautiful the story would have been, how much more beautiful the story would have been if that had been a response. Because I have no doubt that you'd have received the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your church matters to you. We thank you that we matter to you. We thank you that you didn't let the whole thing go south right at the very start. That you cared so much about her that you were not willing, willing to let this, this, this sickness enter of face, of regarding honour above truth, of manipulation and of selfishness. Father, we, we, we know that in many places uh, through the next 2,000 years, Lord, that of course that sin took root. But Father, where it is present here amongst us, and it'll be in little recesses of the corners of all our hearts. Father, please, we pray, give us a friend from church to work together with, to unearth those corners, to cultivate our truthfulness, to invest in cutting out those little white lies or embellishments, to care as much as you about the purity of the words that we speak so that we might be a great bride and that we might not be the ones soiling the air and bringing death into your church. Father, please, we ask you, may our words be your ones and words that bring life, not death. Please, Lord, we pray it for the honour and glory of your Lord Jesus and for our good. Amen.